Hello, Sunshines. My name is Jana. And I'm Keith, and this is Hello, Hello Sunshine. Sunshine. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about mental illness depicted in movies. I'm looking forward to this. We thought it'd be fun to kind of discuss this. And fun's a loose word because some of the movies... Are not very fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, due to... We do want to talk about this in a fun and light way, obviously. However, I would like to preface this episode with a trigger warning. We will be talking about suicide, different mental health issues. Uh, So just be forewarned. If there's anything you're uncomfortable with, just forward, forward, forward. (laughs) And as always, we are not mental health professionals. Not at all. Just very mentally ill and very interested in the topic of mental illness and mental awareness. What we're doing right here with this podcast is sort of what these movies are doing themselves, basically trying to start conversations on mental illness, mental wellness. So, absolutely, yeah. I think I think that's what um, is important nowadays that you see more exposure of certain things because I I think personally the movies that I selected for this episode specifically were ones that really resonated with me because to me, they were one of a kind. Like I didn't have lots of media in my life that I felt like I could connect to so much with my own personal struggles, even if it was, you know, something I've never dealt with, just seeing someone go through the struggle of discovering that they have a mental illness and then figuring out like, what do they do and how do the people around them react? Um, That was my reference really. And then comparing that to myself, what about you? I mean, what's really going through my mind is I'm just interested to hear from you. I I just want to hear what movie resonates with you the most. And I'm sure you want to hear the same in regards to me. (laughs) For sure. So starting off, uh, before when we were talking about the topics and the movies we wanted to discuss during this episode, we created a list of a bunch of movies, some of which we mm-hmm, mm-hmm. both have seen and um, and some that we haven't seen. There was not much crossover. There was not much crossover. I've seen a lot <laughs> um, and Keith had not. So Keith had some homework to do. I'm crap when it comes to watching movies. We'll forgive you. So I just want to go over the list real quick of the movies that we will be discussing today. Uh, We'll be talking about Girl Interrupted. It's kind of a funny story. Perks of Being a Wallflower, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Joker. That's a fun one. Joker is, what a insanely dark, but so interesting movie. Because it's like, I'm not super big on the superhero franchise, so I'm not like an expert at Batman or anything like that. But as somebody who isn't very familiar and then watching this almost like retelling of the the birth, like the renaissance of Joker as like a villain was really cool to witness. The way the movie played out, you didn't have to be a Batman or superhero fan in general. Right. It was just the movie had the makeup or clothing of Batman, like the world of Batman. Right. It it didn't have to be set in that world. And just to the audience, um, it's very much like the movie Taxi Driver. So (laughs) just go off of that. Anywho. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And also in Taxi Driver and Joker, uh, what's his face? 
Oh, uh, Robert De Niro. Yeah, Robert De Niro's in it. So what a quinky dink there. I don't think that was a coincidence. You don't think so? I, I don't think it was a coincidence. You think it was on purpose? Yeah. Let's actually get into some of the... We'll get to Joker later towards the end. Right. I think... We're starting off with Girl Interrupted, which was one of the movies that we watched together. Yes. And what a wild ride. Um, I had never seen it before, but I'd always heard about it, and I kind of cheated. Um, I had seen clips of different parts of the movie out of context, and then putting them into context made a lot of sense once I watched the movie in its entirety. However, this film is uh, pretty dark. There are moments of levity, but it's it's pretty dark. And I think, I mean, in my opinion, I give it a pretty high grade because I, I think it's very much not necessarily representative of every single mental illness out there, but it does expose the audience to behaviors that are very much real and that very much happen. Um, different conditions like borderline personality disorder. Mm, which the main character, Susanna, who is played by Renona Ryder, that's what she had. Right. And then there's Lisa, who is played by Angelina Jolie, and she has sociopathy, not to be confused with psychopathy. They're very different. There are people who have OCD, autism. There's even somebody who's gay. I was there. about to mention that as well. That was floating through my mind, which the movie was released in 1999, correct? Right, but it takes place it, in the 1960s. Yeah, the late 60s. So just seeing how homosexuality... Was and, considered men- a mental yeah. illness, yeah. It was only like a quick nod or mention to it, but it was still like, wait, what? Right, and... That's the thing, too, is is this movie, obviously, you're seeing how people in sanatoriums were treated at this time. And for the most part, I, I don't know too much about what it's like because I wasn't there during the 60s to, to understand. But that's essentially what they are. They're these giant, you know, medical wards. People have their own rooms or they share rooms and um, there's doctors and nurses everywhere that are constantly checking up on you at all times, making sure you're doing, not doing something either to yourself or to other people. Um, Everyone's got to line up to take their meds. Right. Everyone takes their meds at the same time. Everyone goes to bed at the same time. Like everything is very regimented. They have a schedule of activities they're supposed to do, which I think is pretty similar to how it is now. However, the overall treatment and some of the reasons why the patients are in this care definitely, I hope, are better now than they were back in the 1960s because there's some crappy stuff going on that we watched in the film. Like any time a patient would freak out, they had to go into like solitary confinement. And yeah. I'm wondering if that's like still a therapeutic practice. Also, electroshock therapy I know still exists, but it's not like used... I think it's a lot different now. Like it's not as much electricity that is being shot up into people. I don't know myself, and this goes back to how we're not experts on the subject, but I mean, right. it really just goes to show a picture of what it was like then. Moving on to another movie quickly, and we're going to like compare them. The other movie we watched that night was, and this was like Girl Interrupted, it was a book, right? Yes. Yeah. By Ned Vizzini. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a funny story. Yes. Which, comparing the two movies for a second before we actually go in depth, 
They parallel each other. Yeah, this also took place in more of a hospital setting. Yes. This was a hospital. Yes. But a floor dedicated to these patients that were staying for whatever they had going on mentally. Long-term, short-term. Yeah. Like the main character, he was short-term. Yeah, he would be considered like an acute patient. So for those of you who don't know the plot of the story... The main character uh, is a young 16-year-old boy who has suicidal ideation and thinks he's going to do something to himself. So he checks himself in to uh, the psych ward at a hospital. And he's just having a lot of emotion and pressure and stress in his life. He doesn't know how to handle it. But due to the fact that the teenage psych ward is under construction, he has to be checked into the adult psychiatric ward. So he is around a very um, eclectic group of characters with all different kinds of issues. And um, like his roommate was an Egyptian man. In his, yeah, in his 40s or 50s. So just going to show like... The age range. Yeah. The main character's best friend, I forgot. The character's name was Zach Galifianakis. Yes. Uh, and uh, I think similar to Girl Interrupted, they're are mental illnesses that are depicted, but they're not like laid out in front of you. Like you don't mm-hmm. know. This is where we had to use cheat sheets online to right. get a better idea. Right, exactly. Just to be sure to be more confident in what we are discussing here with you guys. Yeah, because I mean, no one likes assuming because you know what happens when you assume. Make an ass out of you and me. Exactly. So to avoid making ourselves ass cheeks, We decided to do a little bit of research just to make sure that we were being as accurate as possible in describing the different kinds of people and their their issues being portrayed in these films. And the comparison between Girl Interrupted and It's Kind of a Funny Story is, It's Kind of a Funny Story is more of a modern view of what a psych ward looks like and the kind of protocols that they're put through. And then you compare that to back in the 1960s, it's, it's very night and day. I think, but there are definitely similarities in terms of like patients need to participate in group activities. You have to go see a counselor, you know, several times a week you take medication, you know, there are a lot of similarities, but I I do think that there's a bit more, I think, respect towards the patients, like their integrity, like they're looked at more as, as human beings in it's kind of a funny story. I brought this up with you after we watched both movies, but I saw Girl Interrupted as more so focusing on the mental issues themselves that people were facing more than the recovery process. Right. And it's kind of a funny story, more so focused on the actual recovery process. Exactly. Yeah, because in the beginning of Girl Interrupted, Susanna, uh, Winona Ryder's character, ends up in a mental facility because she tries to kill herself and actually like came up with the idea and did it. Um, Luckily survived, but through the encouragement of her therapist at the time, her and her family decided it would be best that she would be committed. Whereas, so, and it was against her will. I would Mm -hmm. also like to make that clear. Whereas in It's Kind of a Funny Story, he did that of his own volition and he was going there to not do anything. Like, he was afraid that he would do something to himself if left alone. I found it interesting. I mean, of course he saw the movie going this way, but once he saw where he was going to be staying for the next four or five days, he's just like, oh, crap, this is 
not what I signed up for. Right. Hey, everyone, I'm better, but it just doesn't work like that. Especially if you put yourself into that situation. Yes. Oh, for sure. I think all of us want like a quick fix. You yeah. Know? Like you got a headache, you take some Advil, bada bing, bada boom, you're good. But when it comes to mental health, like that is a part of your being that needs time to heal. And obviously, like everybody has different levels of severity of what they're dealing with. And I think it was very smart and brave and mature of him to go in that direction and check himself out or check himself in, I should say. Um, But yeah, I commend him for his bravery. But along the lines of his process, you know, we see more of his recovery. We don't necessarily see a lot of the context as we see bits and pieces of context as to why he's there. But we see more of like Susanna and like what exactly she's going through. I feel like we get a lot more context um, on her character development and why she got to where she is. But one thing I liked about it's kind of a funny story is you kind of saw bits of the recovery process for some of the different characters, like his roommate, for example. Towards the end, I mean, he felt more welcomed when they were playing Egyptian music. Right. Because that got him back in the mood. You saw the evolution of Zach Galifianakis's character, who wasn't sure if he'd even have a place to live when he got out. So right. you got to see his process of getting better and back on his feet. Right, and like you saw a lot of the characters kind of come full circle, which was great. Which I don't think as much of that was shown in Girl Interrupted. No. I think showing the process is an important thing. Right, because it's not pretty. And it takes time and it takes... I, I think sometimes people, when they're feeling crappy, they... You know, they think that just therapy for like a month is gonna fix them or just starting some medication is gonna fix them. Personally, again, not a psychologist, psychiatrist, or anything of those means. However, I do believe that having the combination of both medication and talk therapy is so important. I mean, mental illness is sometimes just our brains are structured differently than other people. So we make up for it with medication and and talk about it. Because if you don't talk about what you're going through, it just it kind of builds up. And I think what's cool about Susanna is she is like so not for this process. Like no. she, she was forced in, you know, into staying there. She loved breaking rules. Uh she would associate herself with some of the other patients there that also were a little bit more like anarchists in the building. Um, but towards the end, Whoopi Goldberg, who plays the head nurse of their of their section of the, the psych ward, kind of is like the only person that's going to get you out of this is yourself. And it's really disappointing to see you make these awful, terrible decisions for yourself because the only person who's going to pull you out of this is, is you. And then all of a sudden there was just this switch where she realized, okay, like the power's in my hands and I'm not going to get better unless I figure my, my stuff out or I'm going to end up like Lisa, Angelina Jolie's character, who we never really find out what happens to her, but she's obviously, I think they said she was in the system for what, eight years? Something like that. I mean, the character wanted to get better, but we don't know being an outsider watching the movie how that happened. Right. Which goes back to, unlike what we saw in It's Kind of a Funny Story. Yes. And I remember watching this film for the first time. I watched it at my friend Kai's house, and I think that we were in middle school, I want to say. And 
I remember sitting and watching it and being like, huh, this is really relatable. I've never seen a movie like this before where I feel like seen, like me, myself. Because the beginnings of my anxiety issues were around that time. And so I felt very alone and I felt like there wasn't a lot out there that I could commiserate with and be like, oh, like I've, I've felt that way. I felt horrible like that before. I, I know what he's talking about. Yeah, I get it. And I hope that the person, Ned Vizzini, who, who wrote the book and turned into a movie, I mean, I hope that other people, especially other kids, felt that way too. I mean, is it like, there's a lot of comical relief and um, we don't go too in depth into like everyone's backstory and some of the issues that people have are like kind of quirky. And there are some things in the hospital that you're like, no, that doesn't happen. Like doctors disclosing what people have. Right. That, which was only like something quickly in the beginning, but right away you're just like, no, that's not how that happens. Right. Or that shouldn't happen. Right. Like there's a scene where it's like his intake, the main character's intake, and he's Craig, saying, right? We just Craig. say, we keep saying main character. I know, his name's Craig. <laughs> I forgot it was Craig. Well, Craig, um, there is a, another gentleman there who I imagine is either like a social worker or like he's one of the other male nurses on the floor, and he's just giving him a tour. And um, as he's giving the tour, there's like someone popping out of their bedroom, like doing something zany and weird and like yelling or saying expletives or whatever. And so Craig doesn't really even, I don't even think he says anything. I think the nurse just goes, oh yeah, don't worry about it. He's schizophrenic. That is against HIPAA laws. That is not allowed in a clinical setting. (laughs) That is nobody's gosh darn business except the patient and the doctor's. So that kind of stuff doesn't happen. That's not super realistic. I mean, patients between patients obviously will talk and can divulge that information. But when it comes to like the doctor, Mm -hmm. um, the professionals. Yeah. I I just wanted to bring this up because we should look at, okay, what actually happens in these movies and what doesn't, especially if you're talking about a hospital setting. Right. Or the depictions of the issues people face mentally. Right. A thing that also kind of bothered me was the way that the nurse, when he first got there, who nurses are mandated reporters, he says, I think I want to kill myself. And it's supposed to be like a funny moment because Mm -hmm. it's supposed to seem like out of the blue. And the nurse is like, fill out a form and just like continues talking on the phone. That doesn't happen either. Like if someone says, I want to, I want to die, it's taken very seriously. I think once he finally got to see a doctor the doctor was like still unconvinced, but like legally, if you, even if you don't mean it, but you say it, you're automatically required, I'm pretty sure, to stay at the hospital under observation. We live in a world where sometimes it's just better, even if there's nothing really going on or, you know, it's just like a hunch, it's better to be safe than to be sorry. Um, so yeah, a lot of the way that the adults in this film and the the medical professionals, the way they reacted. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if like that did happen, but it's not supposed to. And I hope that, you know, nurses aren't just like, oh, you want to kill yourself? Okay, sign this form, sit down. Like, I'm going through a crisis here. Maybe could we like act like it's a crisis? (laughs) One of the last main comments I want to make on this movie, and maybe we slightly brushed on this or could have hinted at this earlier in this discussion, but I like how it's kind of a funny story acknowledges that problems just don't end after treatment. 
Oh, yeah. Because Craig's just like, yeah, I mean, doesn't end there for me. It's an ongoing process. There is no magical cure. I wish there was. I would pay so much money for a magical cure for my brain to produce the right amounts of serotonin so I can get out of bed. But, you know, everything that I do and similar to what you do is we're just trying to cope and and get through every day. And, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And I agree with you. I think it's really important for people to understand, too, is that like, yeah, the work doesn't stop. So for the things that maybe the movie didn't get correct and what the reality of things is, it is so important that that was mentioned. For sure. I think, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, movies tend to tie everything up with a nice little bow and, and kind of like shove, put it put it on a shelf. And um, I think it's important to like keep people like realistic. Yeah, you know? for sure. And I mean, one more thing I, I would like to mention is one thing that makes Craig really uncomfortable is that he feels like his problems aren't as big as some of the people who are in this ward. Um, and I've actually been in a situation where I was seeking help from a psychiatrist uh, and I was starting medication for the very first time. And uh, a lot of people will find that psychiatrists tend to not be covered by insurance. So we have to pay out of pocket and they're very expensive. Not all, but uh, the ones that were available to me at the time cost a lot of money and my family couldn't afford to pay $500 just to talk to her for 30 minutes about a pill that like she could prescribe, but then my doctor, like my, my GP could do for like $25 copay. But I kind of wanted to, to stick with her for a little bit to kind of see if she had any recommendations about different medications to try. And, but we mentioned to her, we can't really afford you anymore. And she goes, Oh yeah, no, that's fine. And we're like, could you help us out? Like maybe give us a discount or work with us like a payment plan. She was like, no, I don't really do that. But you know, you can go to the hospital Um, and go through their behavioral uh, health unit. However, you're just going to be around, you know, all the other people, you know, with bigger issues than you. And that's just... I, mm. I, let me tell you, I got in the car and I bawled my eyes out because I had never felt so small and I had never felt so, um, I felt crazy. I was like, am I crazy? Because I'm going to, I'm being shoved in, I'm, I'm at the same level as like someone who has paranoid schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. I, I felt awful about myself. So that was not right, what that psychiatrist did to me. But I think it's really important, the point that I'm trying to make, um, is that everybody should not spend any energy comparing problems. Because it's, it's, it's like the who has it worse game. Nobody wins at that game. So don't even play it. Even if the problem to you on the outside seems small, it could feel really big for the person that is dealing with it. So just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that you have a right to, to judge that person and how they're reacting. I feel like I felt that way to a small degree. So not that I'm going to add too much to that, but I was even about to say just on autopilot, oh, I just have anxiety and depression. But no, that's something that I deal with. Right. That's my struggle. Right. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, um, and I'm not sure if you guys caught that listening, but I was about to involuntarily play that down. (laughs) Right. You, you, you feel like you hear somebody else's story and how much worse it is. And so then you all of a sudden are like, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't even like bring this up. 
Mm-hmm. Is you're like, oh, well, I've never, I've never experienced that. Well, thank God. I don't want you to experience half the pain that I've felt. I would never wish it on my worst enemy. So like, don't be like, I, I, I don't think I'm as sad as you. That's, that's not even comparable. And that's not fair. No. Everybody struggles in their own way to their own degrees, but everybody is deserving of help. Let's talk about something that I can't relate to personally in Perks of Being a Wallflower. Ah, yes. You got excited when I texted you while I was watching it. I love that movie. (laughs) Um, Similar to It's Kind of a Funny Story, I related to it so hard. Not necessarily, there are a bunch of different angles and issues that are brought up in that movie but I just I just love the way that it was depicted it felt so real and raw and I was like see that's what I want to see I don't want to see somebody like just dramatically being like life is just so hard on me like this it literally looked like the main character played by Logan Lerman was legitimately going through a crisis and I was like that is what it looks like I was like that is the most accurate depiction I've ever seen What I found interesting is for most of the movie, you weren't entirely sure what his issue was or what caused it. And what he was really dealing with was PTSD. Yeah, due to, um, well, maybe I shouldn't say because it kind of exposes the plot a little bit. But I will say this. He discovers that he had a traumatic event happen that is the root cause to why he is the way that he is. Um, I think he's more introduced as like a very shy character. And you get like little hints here and there, like his siblings are kind of like coming home for from college at Thanksgiving. They're like, are, are things are things going okay, buddy? And then he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I got it under control. I got it under control. Right. You're like, huh, what's, what's going on there? Not really from a mental health side of things, but I feel like that character was someone I was able to resonate with like mental health aside, just how quiet he was. Not that I'm necessarily a wallflower, but I'm just usually someone who's, who's quiet, sits around, observes everything. I wouldn't give myself that classification, but I was just like, okay, I see where he's coming from and just how he presents himself, how he carries himself. Right. And I mean, there's so many reasons behind why he is the way that he is. Mm -hmm. And I know we don't discover that until a lot later in the movie. But from the get-go, he's, I think he's a freshman in high school. Yeah. And the friends that he befriends, um, played by Ezra Miller and Emma Watson. They're seniors, right? Mae Whitman. Yeah, they're upperclassmen. They're seniors. And they notice this, like, shy, quiet kid. And they kind of, like, put him under their wing and kind of help get him out of his shell and Pretty quickly, he goes to a party and everyone's drunk. And he, I think he like drinks for the first time or gets high. He or gets something high for the first time by accident. Yeah. Like, he one, sees one of the, the guy, the kid that lives at the house, I think, he gave yeah. him an edible, like a pot brownie. Yeah. And he thought they were, he's so naive and so young. You know, he just goes, Ooh, brownies and takes a bite and then ends up higher than a kite. Poor little thing. And, um, and he just divulges, like, without even thinking about it. Oh, yeah, um, I transferred schools, or, yeah, I'm new this year. My best friend uh, last year killed himself. And then Emma Watson's character's like... Shocked. Oh, uh, 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 what? Uh, uh, uh. And you see her go, like, not really react. Crazy. She's not like, oh, my God, that's terrible. Like, she kind of she goes, oh, well, 
I'm, I'm sorry. I was a left hook. Like, she didn't know how to respond. She didn't know how to, to respond to that. Yeah. So then, Especially I, since he was so... Well, he was high. He was calm and collected over it. Yeah. He was very, like, open and honest. Um, and so then you see her, like, go over to her, her stepbrother, uh, Ezra Miller, and she's like, um, so Charlie just told me that his best friend shot himself last year? And so then from that moment on, you just kind of see this spark in, in the brother's eye and he decides from then on, like, we are going to, we are going to be his friend and we're going to be there for him. So the story not only depicts like mental health, but it also depicts a pretty great friendship between a group of friends. I mean, it's, it's, and there's times where it's a little rocky, like any friendship. Plus it's a movie. There's gotta be some drama yeah, in it to stir to things drama. up. But yeah. And, and those characters are complex too, because they have their own issues, but a pretty fair depiction, I think of what kids go through socially. Um, and then you have Charlie, who's kind of like this outlier where like, he's obviously been through a lot of shit and, you know, seeing him trying to like be normal, quote unquote, and just be a normal, like, you know, 15 year old. And he's just so like little, he's so young and so naive and, but he's carrying so much pain. And I, f- I find that so relatable. Like I was like, I'm Charlie. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty naive. I'm pretty dumb too. Like I haven't lived a lot of life, but I hold a lot of pain and like, I just, I don't know. I just, I related to him so hard. And that's why I love that movie so much. I don't know. Like I hold Charlie close to my breast, close to my heart. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sure if you were going to reveal the root of the PTSD. I was even thinking right before I introduced the movie, just like, I don't think we even gave a spoiler warning. At the beginning of... Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing... I mean, <laughs> but it's a, one thing is just like, oh, I mean, we already gave the trigger warning, but we didn't give a spoiler warning. But at the same time, most of these movies are 10 plus years old about, so why should we even give a spoiler right, warning? you don't deserve it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I will say this because the film does a lot of what like girl interrupted does actually all the movies do this now that i think about it they do a lot of flashbacks another reason i love perks of being a wallflower is because they do a pretty good job at like going back and forth between past present you get little little nuggets of context and it's not until the very end and it's not even like spoken out loud it's very much i think like assumed like no one says this is what happened to him it's kind of like he alludes to it, um, right? which kind of gives space for people to interpret it however they want to interpret it. But like I said, I don't want to give like, oh, fine, I'll do it. No, I just wanted to throw that out there. You don't have to say anything. We All could... right, just, just kidding. Never mind. Ha ha ha. I teased you yet again. <laughs> but I mean, going off of what you were saying for the flashbacks, I really love how the flashbacks were used in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Now that movie, I was really bad. I have never seen it. I did not watch it for this podcast, so I'm going to leave this up to Keith to discuss. And let's see if you chip in. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. But uh, what I tried mentioning to you beforehand was mental health and the issues people faced. I don't. I really don't feel that was so much in the forefront, but I mean, it was definitely... Presence. I mean, you could see in Jim Carrey's character that there is definitely depression on his end. Looking at Jim Carrey's character, Joel and Clementine, 
it's really focused around their breakup or the aftermath of it. So, I mean, both of them are heartbroken and are facing depression. And the whole movie revolves around them trying to forget about the other person, trying to leave that behind them. Which, from a mental health perspective in general, I found interesting because whatever your past is, you can't just drop it it and leave it behind. Like, they're in the movie, they're literally erasing their memories. Clementine, early on when Joel encounters her, she didn't remember him because she went to a doctor to get her memories erased. So that's what Joel was doing later on. That's what she did. You know what? Hell with that. I'm going to do that too. I'm going to forget about you. Yeah. So it's really... And did it work? Did it make them happier? Not really, no. Interesting. They were somewhat together in the end, but I mean, it's an open book. Who knows how the relationship turned out if they relived everything over again. That's just up to viewers' interpretation. Yeah. But you can't really just drop your issue. No. You just gotta... I, I it, it feels weird saying this in terms of how we're so like nice talking about mental health, but sometimes you really just got to take the brunt of what you're feeling because oftentimes there's just no way around it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I almost like to think of like trauma and things that we've been through are like rocks in a backpack. You just put the rock in the bag and you keep and you and you put the bag on your back and you carry that into the next situation, relationship, whatever. Um, so I think it's important to share what you went through because it just, it helps people understand you better. Um, if you don't tell people why you don't like XYZ, it's because, you know, something terrible happened to you. They're never going to understand, although they may, they may try. But I can, I can relate to Joel and Clementine because I think that there were parts of me that were in so much pain emotionally where I kind of wanted to like erase my brain. Like I wanted to pretend like it never happened. Because wouldn't it be easy if you could just do that for whatever issue? But that's the thing. Even if the memories are gone, like, but the issue's still there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like the, the experiences aren't there, but like I'm sure the depression's still there. Because like what people don't realize is that trauma changes the chemistry of your brain. So even though they forgot about the image of each other, I'm sure that the aftermath of the depression itself is still very much there. They'll just I'm trying to, to remember find if a new thing that sort of thing was shown or not. But I, that's an interesting take how uh, you're interpreting the movie. That was my second time seeing it. I enjoyed the movie. I don't think I can really grade it or anything in terms of yeah. mental health depictions because as I started off with that wasn't really the focus of the movie. Right. But I like how you could definitely play around with the idea. Yes, for sure. At the bare minimum. Yeah, and it's like an artistic interpretation of something that people very much go through and probably wish they could do. Mm-hmm. You know, but you also have to think about it like the people that come into our lives teach us something about ourselves. And I think that's really important for like self-development. Just because something didn't work out doesn't mean that you didn't learn something from it that's going to make you into a better person because of it. I think that leaves us with one more movie to discuss, which we tiptoed around at the beginning, but not actually talking about any of the issues presented. Joker. Oh, my God. Yeah, Joker was... Intense. A wild ride. I only watched that movie once. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it for a couple months. 
And I only watched it once because it's it's something that you, it's not like it's not for entertainment. It's not like High School Musical where you could watch it a bunch of times on a. On it's a, not for entertainment. No, and it's, <laughs> it's not like that. And it's long. It's dark, and in terms of mental health discussions, I feel like something people were worried about is whether or not the movie helped or hurt discussions. Yeah, so this is one of those films where obviously mental illness is very present in this person. But is it accurate? Is um, I'm trying to remember, but one of the Joker's issues is that he has a condition that when he gets uncomfortable in social situations, he starts to laugh. And that's a real thing. And that is a real thing. Whether it looks like what is depicted, I can't say. And I'm sure everybody has like varying levels and degrees of it. But that's one thing that is not a super common mental illness that people talk about or ex- or are exposed to. So I'd be interested to hear it from somebody who does suffer from a condition like that. If they think, oh, yeah, no, like that's me. Like, I, I mean, I can't speak on that, but there was that part of it. And then I think he also had very like, antisocial behaviors that could possibly lead him to to be sociopathic or to have um, a personality disorder of some kind. I'm not a doctor, so I can't I can't give the official diagnosis. But just from observation, it's very clear that something is not right here. What doesn't help is the society and the world that he lives in just like craps on him. That was such a big thing for me in terms of what I was thinking about going into this podcast. Mm. How he was in just a crappy situation. I mean, he was seeing a psychiatrist, right? Because he was legally obligated to. Right. And then the hospital lost funding. I don't know if it was the hospital itself, but I'm trying. It's been a while, but yeah. I mean, basically, he wasn't able to be helped anymore through that right. service. And I think. The service was provided because he either got in trouble or he had been like committed at some point. And so like almost like parole, like his parole requirements were to go see this this psychologist who honestly couldn't give two craps about him. Because he's even there. The like, Arthur, he doesn't want to be there. <laughs> he's like, it's the same thing every time. Right. He's like, there's nothing new, girl. Like, <laughs> and then like you said, the therapist is like yeah so i'm not gonna be seeing you anymore and he's all well who am i gonna be seeing i don't know figure it out like you'd be surprised but that stuff happens in real life too you know you're just saying that earlier with your psychiatrist well i've had that and i've also had like therapists be like oh well actually like i'm gonna go work at a school or i'm gonna go do this so like bye and then luckily i've been very lucky where you know, when I would have a therapist leave, the therapist that I got was amazing and super awesome and was working in the same office. But it does happen. Like, it does happen. I'm just interested because I don't know, but the movie took place in the 80s. So right. how much really changed in terms of, I'm sure accessibility increased, but... I think the abruptness of it, like, yeah. I feel like he would have, if, if this were like 2021, he would have gotten like some emails, maybe a phone call, either from the insurance company, the hospital or the therapist directly. And the therapist would have been like almost like a two week notice. Like he would have known that their sessions were going to be ending. And I mean, ethically, 
And morally, I just think as a, as somebody like myself, who's going to be a music therapist, hopefully one day, fingers crossed, I would at least give some recommendations on places to go to supplement it, especially if it was part of something like a parole. Even when my therapist is going on vacation, she's just like, here's a number of someone else you can talk to while I'm gone. Yeah, like if you need someone to talk to. I mean, not everybody can do that. Yeah, but I'm just like, what, what what I was trying to get at was, it was interesting for me to see how little accessibility there was in the movie. Compared yeah. to what you're seeing now, like it's you have all these different services right on your phone that you have access to. Yeah. To talk to someone like virtually through text. Yes, yeah, cerebral, um yeah. uh, better help. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say that, that stuff doesn't happen anymore, but I mean it does, maybe like in just different contexts, but but yeah, like you, you kind of just, it's like a moment in the film where you're like, oh God. Well, I mean, I know he wasn't taking therapy serious, but maybe there was a part of him that that liked that support and now he doesn't have that. So it's like almost like the beginning of the end, like his unraveling. Because maybe the therapist was a bit of like a moral compass that kind of grounded him. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, nobody else in his life, he didn't really have a lot of people in his life in general. The, and something shown in the movie, I mean, a lot of the people involved in his life were imaginary that or they were just like nasty not nice people Mm. and the nasty not nice people was something else that i was really thinking about i mean you already mentioned how everyone was just crapping on him yeah giving him a hard time which that's not as much of how you treat people nowadays at least from what i've seen but it builds up yeah and it doesn't take much to build up in people i mean for him it was very extreme Mm -hmm. but yeah he just wasn't set up for success from the get-go. And so his threshold for that was just low. And so as soon as like everything kind of hit the fan, it was like that was the breaking point that created the monster that we love and know today is the Joker. Um, sucks. Like you, you want to feel bad for him, but he's so awful. And the things that he does are so awful. You're like, do the ends justify the means? Right. Like, and I think I think that was the purpose of the film was to like make the viewer be like, am I on his side? Do I, am I sympathizing with him? And that goes back to what I was saying before, as in, does this actually help discussions on mental health? Right, because is, is it like villainizing people with mental health issues? Like villainizing, or just like even supporting violence, even going on that end right. of the spectrum. There's so many directions discussions can go based on this movie oh for sure and i mean i'm sure there's like so many other podcasts just focused on this i mean Mm. of course beyond podcasts there's we're not even scratching the surface of this for sure and like (laughs) the one thing that just popped into my head right now was thinking like this is kind of related kind of not but just like violence in general like you look at people who like mentally ill people who shoot up schools and shoot up churches and malls and things like that like people of course what they did is inexcusable and disgusting and awful and horrible. But if they're like mentally ill, why do they have access to guns? I'm not saying that, you know, if you have a little anxiety or whatever that like, you know, but if you, if you're somebody who has anger issues or a mental illness issue, you should not have access to those things. And, 
I find a lot of the time, like anybody with a mental illness then kind of gets like grouped into the same group. And I don't think that that's fair because not everybody who's like mentally ill is going to like shoot up a school. So like, I don't know, I, I immediately just thought of that, like how this film definitely could villainize an entire group of people um, without even getting to know somebody or knowing the context. So I can understand why some people might not like the way things are interpreted. It's hard to watch at points. Like, I mean, I know I'm mentally ill, but I'm not about to go, like, do what he did. It's just, like, a whole other level. Wrapping up Joker before our wrap-up, what I want to know is, do you personally think mental health was depicted well in this movie? No. Or if there's any benefit? No? I, well, here's the thing. Like, if you compare it to the other movies we talked about today, like, there are, like, specific, pretty clinical clear for the most part clear issues that are illustrated whereas like this is like an extreme mental health issue that almost like transcends mental health this is like who this person is to their core not just like they are what happened to them but no i i don't i would not watch joker and be like oh, i'm gonna go see a therapist like if you are that person then like maybe maybe like you know this is totally There's something else wrong. <laughs> this is this is not how you were with it's kind of a funny story. Like I can connect to that. I get I, it. This Joker not, I do not no. I mean like Keith pisses me off a lot, but I don't want to kill him. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I mean I've been through some some tough stuff in my life, but no, I do not relate to the Joker wanting to like obliterate anybody who messed with him. Like the closest you can get to relating is just having a bad day. But there or are too bullied. many or there are too many bad days and bullying and Yeah, like people as, people shitting long, on you. Long story short, it was to an extreme, as you said. Yeah, so because of how extreme, no. What do you think? Do you think it's a good depiction of mental health? I mean, at the minimum, it's Starts the conversation, but overall, no. No. <laughs> we love you, Joker. Great movie. Amazing movie. But I would not uh, use that as an example in a psych class of like, this is what bipolar disorder looks Sorry, like. Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix, like, love you, baby. But uh, great performance, however. Great performance in uh, Walk the Line as well. Johnny Cash? Can, no. you, can you please stay on topic for once? <laughs> Walk, I mean, the Walk the Line is a beautiful movie. Of course, I know what it is. I mean, is there much of a topic anymore? Because that was the last movie we were discussing. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> on that note, I mean, we're going to post this on our social media. Like, maybe you found this episode through our social media. But what we want to know is, what other movies would you suggest that depict mental health really well? We'd love to hear. And maybe you could share with anyone else who sees the posts. Absolutely. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. And watch these movies because oh, of course. they're I mean. good. Like if you haven't seen them and you're just like, you want to feel seen, I recommend Listen, we're, we're confident in what we're saying, but let the movies speak for themselves. Right. Also, not Joker. Do I mean, watch Joker like because Joaquin Phoenix, but like <laughs> don't watch it to be like, I want to be seen <laughs> because you, I hope you're not seeing yourself in that film. <laughs> Anywho, as always, we like to provide different resources for you because, listen, sometimes we need a little help figuring out what our next step is. 
We are not sponsored by these resources. However, they are great to use. I've used them personally. We have Psychology Today. That is a magazine and a website that you can find a therapist on or a psychiatrist in your area. Also, we have the Suicide Prevention uh, Lifeline.org and the Crisis Text Line. Text REASON to 741741. It's free, confidential, and 24-7. Don't suffer alone. Um, There's always somebody to talk to, reach out to for help. So things may not always be easy. But don't forget to try to stay on the bright side. I'm Jana. I'm Keith. Thanks for sticking around with us. See you later.